0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking with Debbie and Friends. I apologize for the delay. We had a little bit of a a snafu on some technical things that we were working on, but uh, we are here. So um, Talking with Debbie and Friends is a companion piece to our weekly cook and chat show that we do right here in our kitchen on Sundays at 12 noon. I am Travis, and this is my lovely co-host, the host of the show, Debbie Gutierrez.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. We had some technical difficulties. There we go. Try that again. We had some technical difficulties. There you go. And uh, bringing Danny on uh, picture-wise, but we have him on audio, which is good, right?
0: Yeah, we have him on audio, and we definitely have some graphics to show tonight. Um, I'm really excited about having Danny on tonight. And um, he's got a very impressive resume. I want to say that for those of you watching already, I see that there are people joining. Um, We stream to Facebook and YouTube so that you guys can comment. We definitely want to encourage comments tonight because Danny has done a lot of very cool stuff, Um, not least of which the the movie that's in the title of this stream. So we want to make sure that you guys are commenting and interacting with him. While you can't see him, he can see us and he can see what we're putting on the screen tonight. So that being said, please comment yeah. and uh, and interact with us.
1: Please. So while people are joining, um, let's talk about what happened Sunday. Sunday was our Chopped Neighborhood Edition.
0: Yeah. That was pretty fun. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, chopped Neighborhood Edition. And our good friends, Joe and BG Casas, sent us a basket. And so we were so excited. I was so nervous. Um, I opened the basket on air, and there was licorice, nacho cheese, nacho
0: cheese. There was baby food, baby food, um, green beans, and yucca, uh, yucca,
1: yucca, 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 and, Yuka. 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 and what? And
0: pig's, pig's feet.
1: feet. And so I was ready to cry. I was ready to throw up. Thank God I have such beautiful friends who were already Pinteresting what they could do with pickled with uh, pigs' feet, and uh, they were so cute. Like you can make a soup, and you can do this, and you can do that, and start peeling the yuca. You can put that in the oven. And I was just a mess. And finally, my husband let us in, let me in on the fact that it was yeah. uh, a punk basket. <laughs>
0: I got punked. (laughs) She was sweating so hard, you guys. But you know what was really cool is that we had a lot of friends that were telling us what we could do with it. And Debbie's wheels were turning. And and, uh, ultimately, we ended up making a really beautiful meal of uh, uh, crusted chicken and... um, Crusted
1: pecan chicken. It was delicious. And then pasta with butternut sauce and a spinach salad with strawberries and feta cheese. It was pretty delicious. So we did a pretty good job. We did yeah. a pretty good job. Tony said he was having so much fun watching you on Sunday. Tony. Um, um, Pinizotto. Pinizotto, um, Pinizotto. Was, Pinizotto was, uh, was our guest last week, and we talked everything game and game show. And so that's where the idea came from. We're talking about game. We're talking about cooking. And then my friend BG in the comments said, let's do this uh yeah,
0: and I'll, I'll tell you if you guys couldn't notice, we were we were very stressed. After we were the so show, stressed. We just slept. We just slept. Exhausted.
1: Exhausted. I don't think we even ate later on that day. we were just exhausted. Yeah, it was pretty it took exhausting. a lot out of us. So emotional.
0: Hey, yeah. let's say hi to a few few people because some cool people are coming. Yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, of course, my dad yeah. and my dad says about time. Hey, listen, we can't control what goes on with the interwebs and technology. What was going on was Danny could see us on one device. He couldn't see us on the other, but we could hear through that when it was creating a loop. So we're just going to go old school. He's on the phone right now. <laughs> we're going to do it that way, but he can see us right now. So uh, Rhea and Joe and Richard. Hey, guys.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: Suzanne and my uncle, Joe.
1: Hi, everybody. On, Joe? Oh, um, Pilar. Hi, Pilar. Mike Bilbrey. Great job, Sunday. Mike, we couldn't have done it without you. When he said, put the salad to the side and start working on your chicken. (laughs) I
0: see a lot more people. There's a number on the top of the screen that shows uh, how many people are there. And I know there's more, more people than what we have commenting. So please, you guys comment, say hi, click that like button, share with your friends, let them know that you're watching because we always, always appreciate new, new friends in our kitchen.
1: Yeah. So, um, tonight we have a writer director, Danny Wolf, who is, uh, not only an amazing director and writer, but he's someone that we can call friend and we've known him for a number of years and are so proud of some of the things that he's done, everything he's done. Yeah. But some of the things that now the public knows about like time warp, um, uh, a docu series three in a row. They're great. Um, plug that one thing into the other thing, then it will work.
0: Yeah. My dad doesn't know. He's trying to help us get the technology. (laughs) Turn it on. Turn it on. Let's introduce Yeah, Diana, BG, and Tom just joined. Hey
2: guys. Oh,
1: good. Hi. So um, those of you that might've watched it, I put it out there that Danny's newest documentary is trending number two on Hulu and it's called Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies. There it is. Look at that. From Midnight Cowboy to Showgirls to Fifty Shades of Grey. And we're starting there with a pretty current title that people know, Midnight Cowboy. But, I mean, it it feels like seconds after film was invented, they started putting nudes As soon as a
0: man could figure out he could snap shots of a a naked woman, that was when it was That was
1: it. So Danny um, Wolf is the director of Skin, a history of nudity in the movies, a 2020 release from Plausible Films. Also released that year, Wolf directed and co-produced the three-part documentary series, Time Warp, the greatest cult films of all time, a deep dive history of cult movies from their birth at midnight screenings through today. Wolf has served as director, executive producer, and showrunner for several television series since 1990, beginning with the directing and producing of Candid Camera Specials on CBS, for legendary television host Alan Funt. He produced and directed When Good Times Go Bad and the hugely successful Busted on the Job, caught on tape for Fox Television. He's got oh some amazing stories on that stories, <laughs> oh my gosh. During this time, he became known as the king of outrageous videos, appearing in over 20 times on Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Maury, and Jenny Jones. He also produced and directed several documentary and reality series, including VH1's Music Behind Bars and Fuse's Live Through This. He directed and produced all four seasons of Showtime's Family Business, TBS Minding the Store with Polly Shore, MTV Miss Videos Locos with Paul, Paul Rodriguez, and Vidiots with SNL's Dean Edwards for TV One. Most recently, he was co-executive and producer and showrunner on Showtime's Gigolos. Other notable productions he has directed and produced include Busted and Disgusted for Fox Reality Channel, The Chelsea Handler Show for E1, Funniest Mom in America for Nick at Night and Surviving Nugent for VH1. Without further ado, shall we bring on our friend? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, everybody, give a big hand to Danny Wolf. Woo! Hey, Danny.
3: Thank you, Debbie and Trevor. You didn't have to read all of those.
1: <laughs> well, you know what?
0: I I looked at it and I I was thinking I hope she does because dude, when do you sleep? Seriously. <laughs>
3: Yeah not often and it's funny and and amongst all those I did uh 160 episodes of Roller Jam which was an updated roller derby show oh, that's for right. a few years but, uh,
0: Is that the photo you sent of me before. of the um the T-Birds is it is it this one can I show this
2: one <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um it was a Oh, that was a picture of me announcing. I, usually, when I announce the T Birds or the Bay Bomber games, they usually come off the track
0: and they hit me. Dude, you're getting, into
3: me.
0: you're getting You're getting pummeled right here. You
1: know, we so miss having you on camera, but you have sent so many amazing pictures that we'll always be able to have something yeah. up to show our audience who's watching. Yeah, that's good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh.
0: So, so um, we have been rewatching. Um, I know it's a hard, hard assignment. Uh, rewatching uh, Skin.
1: the history of nudity
0: nudity in in movies. movies.
1: So I've been seeing boobs all day, boobs and nether regions all day. Danny, when you, did you edit that? I mean, did you just have to see naked people the entire, like for weeks at a time?
3: Well, let me preface when we, when I interviewed all the celebrities that are in it and who appeared nude in movies, both male and female, they all did their interviews with their clothes on. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: interviewing, you know, Malcolm McDowell and Sean Young and Eric Roberts and Merrill Hemingway, this, what we tried to do was something informative, um, educational, fun, entertaining, and fast paced. This is not a boot dust by any means. That wasn't what we wanted to do because nobody would take it seriously. So but we really... When we started this, I wanted to make sure this was, you know, a, a interesting and fun sort of look back from 1887 to today, the Me Too movement, of the history of nudity in mainstream movies. There's no porn in this.
1: Oh, no, no, no. And,
3: um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's all the mainstream movies with nudity again. And uh, it's, you know, the first cut was about six hours. And uh, painstakingly had to cut it to what it's at now—two hours and ten minutes—and it moves fast. It does. I mean, I, you know, you've seen it, and mm-hmm. uh, I actually even—even even I've seen it a million times. Rewatched it today to refresh myself for tonight. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of fun to, to look back at it again and and remember doing these interviews all over the United States. But it really is. Uh, no one's done. A, that was the amazing thing—is coming off doing Time Warp. I was approached to write and direct this. And and one of the executive producers is Jim McBride, who's known as Mr. Skimp. And he said, Danny, you know, no one's ever done a documentary on the history of nudity in movies. And I said, of course they have. Like, they've done documentaries on everything now. And he's like, this hasn't been done. So we jumped on it really quick before someone else did. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And um, it was not hard getting a lot of these major celebrities to come on camera and talk about, you know, these classic films where they appeared nude. And it was really to find out how it not only affected their personal lives, but how it affected their careers. And those were Mm. where a lot of the interesting stories came from. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Speaking to so many different actors and actresses about how it affected their their personal lives and their careers. And then, of course, you know, the educational part comes in as we, we cover the MPAA and the rating system
2: and mm-hmm. the Hays Code, and, you know, the, the early
3: 20s and 30s pre-code. So if you're into, if you're a history of film buff, if you love the cinema, forget the nudity part of it, you learn a lot about movies.
1: And code. And
2: right. how mm-hmm. movies have
3: changed, and the production codes, and the rating systems. And there's a lot of great people uh, who were involved that, that talked firsthand, including, uh, we were, we, it was a coup getting Joan Graves, who was just retiring. She's the head of the MPAA many many years. And I got to interview her at her office like a day or two before she retired. Wow. Wow. And just to learn about the rating system and how they come up with the rating. You know they're not a censorship board. They're just ratings are suggestions. Really for parents. That's where it comes from. And a lot of the people on the MPA board are are parents. Fathers and, and mothers. And um, that was interesting to learn about. And the production code. I didn't know much about going into this project. But really from the 30s to the 50s, you know, it was an ironclad haze code. This, this, these rules that you couldn't do so much in films. You know, it was a production code. And there was no nudity for decades. Right. In Wait, films, yeah. unless you were like a, an outlaw director and put nudity in your movies but then you weren't getting distribution
1: right were work showing your
3: film so it's it an interesting period of time but boy there was a lot of debauchery in the 20s and 30s before
2: yeah. they enforced
3: the code which they enforced it in 34 before, right between 1930 and 34 the pre-code era man there was nudity all over the place with major celebrities
1: so can I can I back up just a little bit, Danny, and just start from sure. when film became film and how long after did they start to shoot nudes? Because according to the documentary, weren't nudes okay if they were standing still or, and there was no code at the time, right?
3: No, I mean the first ever, you know, 1887 was the first uh, nudes, you know, Edward Moybridge's Bodies in Motion. So as soon as film was invented, nudity was shot 20 minutes later.
2: <laughs> yeah. And for theatrical reasons, the first early movies um, was uh, a movie called Inspiration. Mm-hmm. And Purity, and
3: the, those were movies where, yeah, they were like tableau. You could stand almost the a figurine. Right. Um, and that was the only nudity. It really wasn't any movement. And, at and this, it really, yeah.
1: I mean, at this time, there's no code. No code. Yeah, the code
3: basically came in in 1930, but really wasn't enforced till 34. So they called it the Hayes Code. Uh-huh. And that was Will Hayes, who was a postmaster general, who basically said, you're going to oversee every movie from what is done in movies, from animation to trailers to the writing to what's shot. And they didn't really strictly enforce this code till 1934. And that's when a gentleman named uh, Breen was uh, brought in to kind of oversee this code. And Breen was, Joseph Breen was law and order. He was judge and jury. So, he decided what went into every film.
1: So what was going on between 1930 and 34? <laughs> Anything goes?
3: That's when you had movies like The Scarlet Empress and Daughter of the Gods and uh, Sign of the Cross uh, with Claudette Colbert who takes a milk bath. It takes
2: and he
1: takes a milk do- yeah. And what about yeah, Cecil B. DeMille? Of, didn't Cecil B. DeMille do something about the Bible that was just like had every debauchery you could think of in the Old Testament on film?
3: Yeah, that was uh, he was one of the early uh, kind of, you know, him and then Howard Hughes were kind of the rule breakers. They didn't want to ab- abide by it. But there was, uh, you know, some famous actresses, Audrey Munson and Annette Kellerman and Claudette Colbert and even Clara Bow and. Uh, these actresses were all doing it, and, and there was no issues. There was no problems. These movies were making a lot of money, even big budget movies like A Sign of the Cross um, or The Scarlet Empress. So, um, and even a few years later, that's when Howard Hughes said, You know, I'm going to do The Outlaw with Jane Russell. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Screw your code. Mm-hmm. And they kind of almost started like bootlegging movies. And uh, again, that's when the Outlaw filmmakers were making like nudie cutie movies and Mm -hmm. monster nudie movies. They're sort of kind of getting around the code. But again, these films had a hard time getting into theaters.
0: They weren't
1: getting the distribution. Right, yeah. Sure, Mm -hmm. exactly. Or the, well, the advertising too. Exactly. And all this really changed.
3: The code sort of fell apart into the 50s. And really everything opened up in in the 60s into you know, 1970 when you had Easy Rider come out and Midnight Cowboy, and that's when everything really opened up with the MPAA. Or an X-rated I movie. Mean, there wasn't triple X. There was X-rated, like Midnight X-ray. Express, or Midnight Cowboy, excuse me, was an X-rated movie. And won Best Picture.
1: Why? Right.
0: Why? So what, what opened up? Like
3: death
1: well, hang on, Danny. Hang on. Well, Let me ask you this. I thought, I want to ask you a couple questions and you can answer them. Sure as as we go what establishes an x-rated um wasn't robert de niro in an x-rated movie before that midnight cowboy one,
3: if de niro was in one of the first ever x-rated movies and it was a movie a film called greetings i believe it was
1: 1969 or 68 can we and in, in, real real quick, real, real quick, Danny, can we establish what an X-rated is? Because for me, I'm thinking X-rated it means pornography.
0: That yeah, might be different now than it was right. back then. So
1: what does X-rated mean? It doesn't mean it doesn't always mean pornography. No, it was it was sexual content.
3: Oh, and okay. And the X like a movie like Midnight Cowboy, because he, you know, John Boyd played a male prostitute. So there were scenes with nudity and sex. Um, Drive He Said, which was a Jack Nicholson directed movie, had full frontal nudity of a, of a guy running through the University of Oregon. That got an X rating because it was full frontal male nudity. So it really was, It took till triple X is what changed. You know, X wasn't a death sentence. You got distribution with X ratings. It was just G, P, G, R, X. It really was until Deep Throat came out where they created triple X. That's when you got into pornography.
0: Hmm. And and at some point, X was replaced by NC-17? Yes.
3: Yeah. Then it was, yeah, years later.
0: Okay.
2: So you
3: didn't see an X. It was NC-17 or Triple X. And again, Triple X is when you started going, you know, into the, the movies of pornography, Behind the Green Door, Devil Miss Jones,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
3: the early, uh, you know, we know, call hardcore, you know, porn films. Those were triple nice. X.
2: Well, what
1: happened to filmmakers who decided to ignore the code and move on? Because, like Howard Hughes. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't these movies be tantalizing and and exciting? And and you talk about in your documentary how the Catholics would get on Sunday, here's a list of movies you can't see. The next thing you know, they're all rushing out to see it. So something forbidden is pretty exciting. So did, the, did ignoring the code made their movies even more tantalizing?
3: Absolutely. It's when when you tell someone they can't have something, the more they want it. Right. Uh, Just like when A Clockwork Orange came out, it was banned in England. Um, That only made bootleg copies so popular. Everybody was seeing it and getting their hands on it. So, you know, it's the old
2: when You tell people, no, you know, something's forbidden. They only Mm -hmm. want to see it more. And the Catholics,
3: and there was a strict moral code during this time. You know, they they had a lot of power, especially in the Midwest but they were all going to see it. Right. So it, it's, you know, a guy like Howard Hughes has enough money and power to kind of go, you know, F the, the code, I, I'll do what I want. And and the outlaw was a good example with Jane Russell, where he just started actually distributing himself and paying the movie theaters to run it.
1: right? Including the advertising where they basically advertise her breasts, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two reasons to see the outlaw. <laughs> two reasons so was, to see the outlaw. On, on the one sheet of, was Jane Russell with her cleavage. And the, 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 the tagline was, there are two reasons to see the outlaw.
1: And was there an overall um, feeling that actors and actresses had during this period about appearing nude in films?
3: You know, it really, it was Marilyn Monroe, actually, in Something's Gotta Give, in 19, you know, in the uh Excuse me, very early 60s, kind of broke that, God, was it 52 or 60 to 62, 62, um, that it was okay, that an actor or actress can do nudity and it won't kill your career, and she was kind of the first one, and then Jane Mansfield immediately came in right after and did Promises, Promises, so when you have big names like a, a Monroe or a Jane Mansfield and then, of course, Mamie Van Doren, when they're doing nudity it kind of made it okay because it didn't fill their careers. It actually made them more popular.
1: Can we talk and about
3: open the door to people? Yeah.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. That opened the door.
3: And that opened the door to people you never thought would be like an Anne Margaret and carnal knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And
3: some of the bigger name actresses were like, you know what? It's okay to do it. It's not going to be a death sentence to my career. And maybe I won't get typecast. And, and, it really didn't hurt anyone's career to do nudity during the uh 60s into the 70s
1: was it up to the actors themselves or did did they in the 60s and 70s did they have agents pushing for nudity
3: they had agents but you know we didn't delve as much into that as it, it really started in the in the late 70s and early 80s where young actresses and even some young actors would accept roles contain nudity just because they wanted to work and they wanted to be established in Hollywood and what happened to certain actresses then they became typecast um, that they were an actress that was willing to take their top off so the only roles they were getting offered was nudity Uh, we interviewed Diane Franklin from a movie called the last American virgin you know a teen sex comedy in the early 80s Mm -hmm. very very good movie because she took her top off in that movie the next three roles she did the only script she was getting offered was nudity. But then she didn't want to just be known as I'm the girl that takes my top off and had to have a talk with her agent said, I'm not taking scripts or offers anymore
2: Hmm. where
3: there's nudity. I want to be taken serious. So there is sort of a fine line when an actress breaks in or an actor, um, that maybe sometimes like Shannon Elizabeth said, if she didn't do nudity in American pie, she wouldn't have had a three picture deal with Miramax. So it really depends on the, on the actor actress and what they're comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. But it certainly really never hurt anyone's career to take your top off.
0: Well, what's interesting is you you address that. Well, in the interviews, it's addressed quite a bit throughout. It was surprising to me how much um, they talked about that. And and even when you started doing press, how at that time, Me Too was was really uh, there was a lot going on with Me Too. And um, the press about your movie was uh, was still very positive. And I think, you know, you get there's a misconception that when you see a poster like this and you see, you know, the big, you know, nudity in movies, there's a you definitely immediately go to I'm going to see a lot of just arbitrary nudity. But you guys did it very, very carefully um, I've got those. We can put it up too. Okay. But Debbie's looking at the um reviews. the reviews. but you guys paid real close attention and gave voice to these women that I think um I certainly for, personally have never heard what they experienced. So it really is interesting to hear from them how they chose or how they felt they had to be nude in certain movies and how it affected their career and or their psyche after.
3: Yeah, those were to me, I mean, I've been doing all the interviews. I always have sort of my set questions, um, the generic questions you're going to ask everybody. And I made sure to ask every actor and actress not only how the nudity affected their career, but how it affected their personal life. And for an actress like Erica Gavin, who uh, starred in a movie in 1968 called Vixen for Russ Meyer, and she was a new actress, it was her first
2: movie. Um mm-hmm.
3: And she went to the premiere in New York City and was horrified at seeing her Mm -hmm. naked body on the big screen and became
2: anorexic and picked herself apart at the premiere by seeing
3: herself on the screen and dropped to 76 pounds and nearly Mm -hmm. died, all because of how she saw herself on the big screen. So Mm -hmm. there were some personal stories that were really interesting to hear and uh, how it really did affect their lives. Yeah.
0: Well, you sent over a lot of photos and um and a lot of them were portrait style, so I just kind of arbitrarily put them into um a single frame. They have nothing to do with each other, but I would like to show a couple of photos. I'll start with sure with this. Um we've got a couple photos. Can you tell us what we're looking at, who who these people are in these? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Well in,
2: in,
3: in figuring what movies I wanted to cover in this documentary. You gotta cover horror and sci-fi and you gotta cover drama and you gotta cover european films but comedy Mm -hmm. there's the nudity in comedies and to the left is ken davidian from borat Mm -hmm. and i'm like why shouldn't he talk in our documentary i mean he did one of the most notorious nude scenes in maybe film history it was hilarious and (laughs) and hearing his story on how they shot it and he had no problem being nude as long as Sasha was nude. Right, right. The nude wrestling scene they do in the in the hotel room that, you know, spills out into the convention room. Uh, he's a great guy. The other picture you had up was uh, Diane Franklin from mm-hmm. Last American Virgin mm-hmm. and uh, she's very thoughtful and had a lot of great insight in the documentary about how when she did nudity, she went from kind of being a, a girl to an actor. And the responsibility that comes along with it. And she uh, was the one I was talking about how the first three movies she did. Uh, I think the second one was Amityville 2, The Possession, where she was also uh, naked. Yeah. How she had to tell her agent, that's it. We're not taking any more. I don't want to be known, as she said, as the actress that just takes her top off.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
3: changed her career and became you know, really successful.
0: Wow!
1: Did you talk to any actresses? Oh, first of all, we have a question. I don't want to move forward because we're getting some comments here. Um, Did Mae West ever do any nude? No,
3: you know, we we cover Mae West a little bit. Mae West was all innuendo. Mm -hmm. Everything about Mae West was innuendo. (laughs) She was a caricature. So no, she actually, a lot of cleavage and a lot of, uh, uh, Innuendo, but no, May, we did not have any nudity of May West.
1: Okay, thank you we for would that think, answer. No. Oh, and sometimes that's even more powerful, the innuendo. Yeah, yeah. And so Absolutely. who do we?
3: Absolutely. Give it to the imagination.
1: Yeah. Who do we have here in this picture? I mean, I know, but These tell our audience.
3: Well, yeah, on the left is uh, Erica Gavin. That was the actress I mentioned that was in Dixon who became anorexic. She also starred in uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is a great Wes Meyer cult classic. And the gentleman I'm with there is Bruce Davison. Bruce Davison is a, a character actor you'd recognize from. Uh, he starred in Willard. That's one of his more famous. yeah, yeah. Be In the next season of Ozark, Bruce did a movie in '69, a Frank Perry movie called Last Summer, with uh, John Boy Walton and uh, Richard Thomas and Barbara Hershey. And at the end of the movie, there's a very famous rape scene, and um, he is full nude. And it's one of the very early full frontal male nudity uh, scenes. And uh, he talks about the experience, and it was very interesting to hear, you know, being one of the pioneers, if you will, uh, as was Malcolm McDowell, of early male front, full frontal nudity. Right. And Bruce Davidson basically did it as a very young actor, struggling to make it in the, in the business and accepted the role. And hmm. knew there'd be nudity, but as he said, you know, when you're a young actor and you can work with a director like Frank Perry, you put your, your trust in them and that it's done tastefully and artistically. And the movie was a huge success and he, certainly didn't hurt his career.
1: Here's something that surprised me about that segment in skin. Um, the documentary, first of all, that John boy Walton was yep. nude in a film because who knew that? You know, yep. I always thought he was apple pie and a glass of milk and you know, <laughs> good night, Jim Bob. And kind
0: of like learning your teacher has a first name.
1: Right. <laughs> and the That's second pretty, thing. Pretty for sure. Right. <laughs> absolutely. And the second thing, and I, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this is there was a rape scene. I mean, and, and one of the girls it's, it's two boys, two girls. And one of the girls is part of this rape in that she, you know, is holding the other woman down. So how do you coordinate back then? How did they coordinate these scenes of um, rape Actually, or
2: violence? The other woman
3: you're talking about. That's Barbara Hershey.
2: Barbara Hershey
1: um,
3: was the brunette right. in that scene, and the other actress was Kathy. And I'm blanking on her last name, but she sort of disappeared from films after that movie. But you know, as, as Bruce Davis has said, it's it's a it's very choreographed. You mm-hmm. work it out almost like a dance scene, and every movement and every body part, it's all choreographed.
1: Who choreographs it, it? Very
3: hard with the director Frank Perry. Okay, and. um. It's, he said that's how you shoot a scene like that. And it's it's an interesting film because, yeah, you, rape wasn't really covered in the late 60s in films. It's something you didn't see. But, you know, what we learn about this in, in Skin as well is there's
2: certain scenes and nudity
3: you need to tell the story or to extend the story or move it for, further. And, um, you know, if it's a, intrinsic to the plot of the movie, it belongs in the movie. Right. And it's something not to sidetrack, but, you know, you, you can't do a movie like Showgirls without nudity. And you can't do a movie like Boogie Nights without nudity. And you can't do a movie like Personal Best with Mariel Hemingway, who played a, a track star. Um, a scene of the girls in the movie in the sauna naked isn't weird. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. So it is intrinsic to the story, or when she played Dorothy Stratton in Star 80... If you're going to do a movie about a playmate, there's going to be nudity.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know,
3: you know, these actors and actresses know that, but they don't have problems with it if it's not gratuitous or not exploitive. But if it carries the storyline and it's important to the plot, every actor and actress I talked to said, no problem doing it. Right, right.
1: You didn't come across one that said, I thought it was gratuitous or I didn't need to do that or it gave me some setback in my career?
3: There was one, Christine DeBell did a movie called Alice in Wonderland, which was a live action uh, kind of musical that was done uh, spoofing Alice in Wonderland. And she, there was some sex in the movie, not hardcore, but the movie uh, got an X rating because the director, Bill Osco, included certain scenes and angles she didn't know were being shot. She was young and naive. The movie became successful when there was an R-rated version that came out where they took away a couple of shots. So she kind of thought she was ambushed a bit by the director. And you do hear those stories uh, of certain young actresses
2: being taken you know, advantage of mm-hmm. in certain ways. Uh, and there was a, a multitude of ways actors or actresses
3: were coerced to do nudity uh one example of the movie valley girl directed by martha coolidge nicholas a cage. teen sex comedy nicholas cage exactly in mm-hmm. Deborah Foreman. and the distribution company was called atlantic releasing and they told martha coolidge mid-shoot i want they wanted four scenes of nudity she had three in the script she had to come up with another one or they weren't going to distribute the movie so here is a director, a pretty acclaimed director. Where do I throw an extra nude scene in with an actor or actress who was not signed up to do it because it wasn't in the original script. And E.G. Daly is the actress. They added a scene in the bedroom and she's topless. And we interview E.G. in this documentary and she talks about how, you know, she had to step out with Martha and figure out how to do it and do it tastefully and where it would be organic to the movie and, and not be something exploitive. So that's why there was a fourth
1: scene of nudity. um... So
3: sometimes, yeah, and the other thing that we heard a little bit was low-budget horror films. You know, nudity is very prevalent, especially back in the early 80s. And a lot of them were young actresses that didn't have much credit. And they might be on the set, and the director would say, we're going to throw in a scene with your top off. That wasn't in the script, and they didn't sign up for it. But what they were pressured, and a director might have said, if you don't do it, you're going to ruin the movie. You're going to put us all out of work. We're not going to get distribution. Your career is going to be over. You're going to be deemed difficult. So there are those stories of some young actresses, especially in the early 80s, that were coerced into doing nudity kind of against their will and what they didn't sign up to do in the first place.
1: Hmm. There's a Sean Young tells a story on your documentary about during the audition process, she was asked to take her top off.
3: Yeah. And that's something we cover a little bit. You know, you really should never have to do that. And uh, Rena Riffle talked about having to do that for striptease. And yeah, I mean, Sean Young does say she wanted the director wanted her to lift her top up so he can see her breasts to make sure she'd be okay for a nude scene and she did it.
0: No scars mm-hmm. or, or things
2: shoot, right. Just,
3: yeah. But still just, and maybe that she was comfortable. But you that's something extremely rare that I mean in an audition, you really should never have to do that.
1: Now, where did body doubles come in? If some if an actress or an actor isn't comfortable or doesn't like their backside or thinks they have question. a scar. You know, what one of
3: the first body doubles people don't realize was a uh, psycho. Well, I'll go way back.
2: Oh yeah. Marino psycho Sullivan
3: and Tarzan and her mate, uh, Marino Sullivan had a body double Annette Kellerman or Audrey, uh, Annette Kellerman in the Tarzan and his mate. film.
1: What year was but that yeah, Danny
3: coach, Pardon me?
1: What year was Tarzan and his mate?
3: Tarzan who was in the thirties.
1: In the thirties. Right. Okay. Go ahead.
3: So, uh, Psycho. Yeah, Janet Lee um, wasn't comfortable doing nudity. So the way that's edited is obviously amazing. What Hitchcock was able to do. But yeah, none of the parts where you see any uh, body is Janet Lee. Really, the shots of her mm-hmm. uh, that you see of her or her face.
1: Now. Um, Getting back to Tarzan and his mate in the 30s, what was shocking in your documentary to me was that there was a scene of these two, of Tarzan and his mate swimming completely naked underwater. And I thought the 30s, I I didn't think that 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 would be a go in the 30s. You know, families go to films and. Tarzan seemed like
3: a family. As I said, a lot of a lot of debauchery in the 30s. There was a lot of scandal. Hollywood was, that was the Hollywood Babylon. You know, the twenties into the thirties was anything goes time and a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, box office was huge then. So new nudity wasn't frowned upon and wasn't taboo, uh, in the twenties into the thirties, thus, which created the code.
1: And was it families that brought this to the attention of we need a code?
3: Well, yeah, you know, a lot of that had to do with Catholics.
2: <laughs> yeah, religion. And the,
3: they called the the legion of decency. And, you know, religion had a lot of power, and especially in the Midwest, to, to what was going on in Hollywood. And a lot of the, the code was based on what they called the moral legion of decency, where, you know, doing something licentious or something, you know, uh, even a, a, a quick shot of nudity, you can't do that. That's terrible. You know, the youth can't look at that. It's going to be corrupt, corrupt America. And the code was basically bought by this, I guess you, you can say religious side, mm-hmm. religious front that mm-hmm. started, that had a lot of power mm-hmm. and wielded that power. But again, in time, uh, that all fell apart. Filmmakers right. just started saying, you know, we're not sticking to this code.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna show another a uh, couple more photos because you you've got a lot here. Um, I, I love I love these photos. Oh, these and are beautiful. This photo here is such a great oh, great shot. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the Big Lebowski. A great Jeff Riddens is a great guy. I know he's battling cancer right now, but a terrific guy. But from the Big Lebowski, and ironically, his co-star Julianne Moore has done as much nudity as any actress in Hollywood.
1: Naked all the time, That's I the didn't that. realize that.
3: Shortcuts. Yeah. I did Oh, there's. Yeah, she did, if you look at the movie she did with Matthew Modine called Shortcuts. It's full frontal, you see her front. She wears a sweater and no underwear.
1: Just blow dry in her top or something, yeah.
3: Exactly, and Boogie Nights, of course, is uh, her nudity's problem. You know, Kate Winslet's done a dozen movies with nudity.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
3: you know, a lot of – you don't sort of – Kathleen Turner, Melanie Griffith, Teresa Russell. You can go on and on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big-name actresses and actors like Malcolm McDowell have done a lot of nudity and, again, hasn't hurt any of their careers.
1: Now, Danny, where do we go from nudity and nude scenes to actual um, touching, holding – taking clothes off, that kind of thing. Who?
0: Well, do you have a reason why you're asking that? Because you and I had a conversation about that the other day where we were watching uh, the Billie Holiday movie and there, I mean, it's Also on Hulu. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, very close to, I mean, it looks real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It looks real. So how do they make these um, love scenes look so realistic?
3: I just think that's good acting and good camera work. I don't
0: well, know
2: the exact answer. I thought that, the
0: question was, Are w- they when, when did they make the leap from just nudity together to, to what looks like they're actually on top of each other and right. having sex.
1: Do you know any of the parameters I, on I,
0: that?
3: I, yeah. I mean, midnight cowboy is one of the more known, you know, where you're seeing John Voight in in sex scenes like with Sylvia miles and Brenda Vaccaro, uh, those were real, you know, yeah, sex scenes. And that was real. That really started when the MPA was brought in in 69 which Chad Valente.
1: And in, in the what does the MPA stand know, for? National Parent Association? Picture Association. National yeah. Picture. Okay, go ahead.
0: But I was going to say, uh, then you had the uh, Malcolm McDowell and Caligula. That was a, a penthouse uh, production, which, you know, that, how, how did that even get? He never got naked.
1: He never got naked well,
3: Caligula, in the film. <laughs> Caligula is an interesting story because it's, it's such a notorious movie now. And I mean, Sir John Gielgud and Peter O'Toole and Helen Mirren.
2: Helen Mirren!
3: And McDowell. And mm-hmm. It was produced by Bob Guccione, who was the creator and publisher <laughs> of Penthouse. And he funded this movie called Caligula. And unfortunately, um, when the set, he had many sets that were made. T- Tinto Brass directed this movie. And Bob Guccione in the middle of the night would bring like porn actresses in to do sex scenes. Not that any of the actors knew this was going on. So Malcolm McDowell tells the story in this documentary when he went to the premiere or a screening with Mary Steenberg and his then wife, he had no idea. All the sex was thrown into the movie.
0: What a Wasn't hell a of a script. time to learn it. Bob
3: Guccione basically hijacked the movie, threw in a lot of porn uh, that the actors didn't know about, and it became this notorious film. And uh, yeah, uh, Malcolm doesn't say too many nice things about Guccione and the doc. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believe they're working on a ver- another version of it right now for release.
0: Yeah, really. <laughs> Because, because cool. that needs to be made. Hey, um, si- speaking of saying nice things, I want to put up on the screen some uh, reviews that you got. Here's from the Hollywood Reporter. The title may sound incendiary, something left over from the Russ Meyer era, but Danny Wolf's "Skin: A History of Nudity in the Movies" turns out to be informative, and even-handed as well as entertaining. The Daily, Daily News. News,
1: Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies, delivers exactly what it says in the title. Skin, traces the fascination of filmmakers and fans with nudity on screen from the earliest days of Hollywood to the present.
0: CNN, there's an abundance of worthwhile anecdotes strewn throughout, some upsetting, others simply amusing. What what were they upset about, I wonder?
1: Well, there were some, <laughs> some, I mean, I think overall... There was an openness and acceptance, but there were some actors who had a problem like, um, last tango in Paris has a, a pretty upsetting story mm-hmm. as does, uh, Linda Blair doing a, a scene with an older actor who well, John, really, Vernon. John Vernon, who really beat the hell out of her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and then last tango is, Yeah, Last
3: Tango is is a very, it's, it's, no one really knows. I mean, we we cover that because it's a seminal film that uh, had nudity with Maria Schneider and Marlon Brando and the butter scene where he uses butter uh, as a lubricant. And there's still rumors to this day, Maria Schneider said she, that all happened. She was raped by Marlon Brando Mm -hmm. in that scene without knowing we had someone in the in the documentary say that's false. Maria Schneider and Marlon Brando were very close friends and remained friends up until her death. Hmm. So it's one of those kind of uh, urban legend. No one knows really the the butter scene if it was you know real or fake, and was she in on it or was she ambushed?
0: Maybe and just really for some who you, who publicity or something.
3: Could have been. I mean, it's you know when we put the movie together. The first thing I did was, what are the movies you can't leave out? What are those seminal movies you have to cover? And that was a no-brainer, right? But well, Tangos one you, you couldn't right. leave out.
0: Speaking of of that, um, you had just come off of Time Warp, the three-part series. That was uh, obviously a massive undertaking. You had told us before about how you guys did basically the same thing what movies could you possibly leave out of this because there were so many Mm -hmm. Uh, but the title graphic up there were three versions volume one midnight madness volume two horror and sci-fi volume three comedy and camp so when you approached both of these documentaries how did you cut i mean did how did you lay your storyboard so that you got to some of the best stuff because I didn't feel like I was missing anything while I was watching both the uh, skin and the Time Warp series. I felt like I was writing stuff down. Oh, my God, I got to watch that movie, especially with the Time Warp stuff. How did you approach cutting and adding movies?
3: Well, for Time Warp, literally on a wall, I probably had 200 films that you could basically say were cult films. You can't do that many. So we basically ended up picking, I think it was 45 that, you know, there's the obvious ones. You can't leave out Rocky Horror Picture Show and Harold and Maude and the Night of the Living Dead and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and this is Spinal Tap. There's the obvious one. Mm -hmm. Then it was tough because then it was like, well, do we do this one or don't we? Some of the decision-making was could we get someone from the film to interview? So, i will say you know mommy dearest is definitely a cult classic it's not in the series because faye dunaway said no to an interview the director passed away and diana scarwood who played uh, christina was ill when we approached her for an interview so i said you know let's omit it
0: uh mm-hmm.
3: one other was uh phantom of the paradise great rock uh music movie with paul williams we tried to reach Paul Williams numerous times, and Jessica Harper, and Meat Loaf. Couldn't get any of them. And the sad part is I felt terrible leaving Phantom of the Paradise out. And a so Brian De Palma, he turned us down too. He was the director. Now, jump here two years later, a friend of mine's doing a musical with Paul Williams right now. And his manager never told him that we wanted him for an interview. He said he would have done it.
0: So some of the so decisions were made for you, obviously.
3: Some were made for us. Um, Then, you know, while we're doing this, it's interesting. I'm interviewing Rob Reiner for Spinal Tap. And he said, well, I'm surprised you're not covering Princess Bride. You don't know how many people come up to me and approach me and know all the lines to the movie. Mm -hmm. And all I could say to him is I can't do every movie. Right? Uh, At some point, I would have loved to have done Caddyshack or Slapshot or...
1: Groundhog you Day,
3: know, the harder they come, or a number of other uh, films that are really are cult films, but you just can't do them all. I would have loved to have done uh, Walking Tall or Billy Jack,
2: mm-hmm. and then
3: go on and on with films that are considered cult films, but again, you you can't do them all. And by the way, it's a, almost a six-hour doc as it is.
2: Yeah, That's why yeah,
1: parts. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We attended the screening and never got tired. At
0: the Limley. Yeah. But we mm-hmm. missed we missed the first one, but we stayed for the, the second two and it was amazing. Yeah. Uh I wanna just put out there again you guys that are that are uh hanging in with us in the comments. If you've got questions about cult movies or nudity in, in the movies, uh put them in the, the comment comments. section there because Danny can uh see the comments and we're
1: and he's, he's a wealth to... of information, Danny. Can you talk about intimacy coordinators? When did an intimacy coordinator become a profession and and welcomed onto sets? Are you doing research for our great house?
3: question? <laughs> 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 um, great question, Debbie. So, in the age of the Me Too movement and all these lawsuits and 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 uh, chatter, you've heard about all these. Uh, Problems on the set where actors, you know, were treated unfairly or coerced to do scenes or were pressured. The Me Too movement, Me Too movement, really brought out this new change or this profession called an intimacy coordinator. And what this person is is they go to the set, they hang on the set, they're on the set the whole time to make sure if there are scenes with nudity or sex that they're done correctly, artistically that the actors and actresses are treated right, that no... It's like an insurance policy Hmm. for the studio. So if no actor can say they were coerced to do something and no director can say, you know, the opposite, it's like having someone on the set supervising. And it pretty much started with the HBO series The Deuce*, that was on a couple years ago, which had a lot of sex. And again, this was right in the middle of the... The, the me too tornado. So it really is it's having someone on the set just to make sure if you're going to have scenes let's say with nudity that they're done correctly with integrity that no one is being mistreated, no one's being, you know, ambushed. And I think it's great and you're hearing about it all the time now. These these intimacy coordinators or directors are on most sets now. Whenever there's a nudity or When I say sex, not real sex, but even simulated uh, for a film. So, very important. And uh, I think you'll see that job forever
0: now. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. that that didn't come out sooner. You said just a few years ago.
1: Yeah, because if it's up to just the director, you know, I would much rather have an intimacy coordinator coordinating the scene than just a director saying, now let's try this. (laughs) Flip her over and let's do this one.
3: Yeah, I mean, there was so much where it was a he said, she said, where the director denies uh, telling an actor to do something or and the actor saying, you know, the director made me do something mm-hmm. or, you know, coerce me or put the pressure on me to do it. So an intimacy director really blocks, as I said, it's an insurance policy really for the studios uh, to have someone on the set making sure you know, we don't have problems, right? And, uh, we interview, uh, one of the intimacy coordinators in skin, uh, 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 Alicia Rodas, who's the, one of the first intimacy coordinators. And she said, this is here to stay. This is so there's no more problems on the set.
1: Right. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, I heard an interview with an intimacy coordinator who talked about, you know, um, modesty garments, to just make sure that everybody's modesty garment is in place before we start and hmm. to make sure it stays oh. in place while it's, while there's going on.
3: It's every step. You're correct. It's, it's from how they're brought onto the set. If they have a robe, and you know, they're covered up close. To right. When the scene's over, they don't have to jump out of a bed naked. That Someone is standing there with a robe or a towel and they're, you know, safely brought back to their dressing room or to their, you know, uh, um you know wherever they wherever they're being held so yeah it's that came up as well it's 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 mm-hmm. every bit of protection for the uh actor or actress
1: nice danny um, do you think there's a skin too
3: yeah there, you know, is that a weird question so well and, 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 oh. and i think hulu because it's done so well on hulu uh it originally still on Amazon Prime, and you can still see it on video on demand on your cable systems, and it's on Fandango and a lot of streamers, but it's done so phenomenally well, even worldwide, uh, that the idea for Skin 2, instead of the history of nudity in the movies, Skin 2 will be the history of sex in the cinema.
2: And
3: that's where we'll get more into Europe, and going to Europe and interviewing, because you remember, there's a lot more of this going on in Europe far before uh, we saw it in American movies. So, yeah, we're, we're starting to just piece together and hopefully start soon a skin to sex in the cinema.
2: How
1: exciting, um, Danny.
0: We have a, a question from uh, Mike Bilberry. By the way, Mike Bilberry, I don't know if you noticed, we're drinking out of our Bilberry Farms. We're having some tea. Um, um, go ahead, go ahead, oh, baby. Can
1: actors or actresses bring their own intimacy coordinator, or does the movie maker choose? that's a good question
3: that's a great question actually i i i don't know that i don't think they would be able to bring their own i think that's hired by the studio uh just so there's no uh i don't want to say them being biased
0: but probably legal reasons
3: yeah yeah that's a good question i would say probably not i don't think an actor or actress can hire their own and bring them. I think that's provided by the studio.
1: I imagine there would be some choices, you know, because sometimes when you go on a set, they'll say, here are two people that do hair. Here's some of their pictures of what they've done. You choose. And uh, maybe with an intimacy coordinator, somebody wants a, a female on set. If she's female Absolutely. and would feel more comfortable. Absolutely, Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would say before production, that's, that's probably in their writer. You know, there's nudity writers. Mm-hmm uh you know that's that actors and actresses have to sign and i'm sure that is in the movie writer are you more comfortable with a man or a woman
1: any other questions now's your time folks it's so funny because a lot of times as if the interview is very very interesting there's no comments because everybody's listening
0: Go ahead and read that one, Debbie.
1: But if movie house chooses, seems like they would be biased to defend the maker.
2: Hmm.
1: I, I hear what he's saying because if, you know, if Guccione says, we always have this guy, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Some slimy dude in <laughs> yeah. the corner with greasy yeah. hair. So um, I think that would be part of a production. Yeah. Um part of the production. Yeah. Like I said, I, even me just going on a set, they'll, ha- they'll say, Hey, we have this person that does makeup or this person that does hair. And as a, you know, a woman, uh, a Latina, sometimes you want to go with somebody that knows your hair or knows your skin tone. Um, and the same thing with uh, my friends who are black actresses, you know? So sometimes you get a choice of who you can bring in to help you. So I'm sure there's and also,
3: a- Exactly. I and mean, we cover a little bit, um, you know, how many people stand around on the set when there's a scene with nudity. A good example is when Sybil Shepherd did The Last Picture Show. Uh, it was her first movie. You know, she was a young, very young actress who, you know, a model turned actress. And the scene of her on the diving board in the pool. Well, it's a scene with a whole bunch of actors that are all naked in the pool, including Randy Quaid. And Peter Bogdanovich, basically, because he didn't want her to feel nervous doing her first scene with nudity and having to do it amongst all these actors in a pool, he cleared the set. And it was Peter, Sybil, and a cameraman. That was it. And she felt comfortable enough to do it because there wasn't, you know, not this big crowd of people gawking. Mm-hmm. So there are those stories, you know, where I'm sure some actors and actresses get so into the role that they almost block out. You know who's there and who's watching but there's you know some that are probably young like a civil shepherd doing her first movie where she was very nervous and not having to do you know her scene on the diving board in front of sixty people right you know, where she would have just been you know a nervous wreck and everyone's staring at her
0: I'm trying to find the photo I think yep there he is on the left
1: there he is you want to talk about that photo
3: Peter Bogdanovich is so interesting because I love old school Hollywood and there's not a lot left and he Mm -hmm. is to me the essence of like old time Hollywood and we interviewed him and had to be at the Beverly Beverly Hills Hotel of all places and I go god of course (laughs) and I couldn't wait to meet him because I'm a fan of What's Up Doc and Paper Moon I mean he's done some really cool movies and he's a legend but he's always known for having an ascot He always was you saw the pictures of peter bogdanovich with bogdanovich with the ascot but when he showed up it wasn't an ascot it was like a uh what do they call that like a bandana and that's what he's been sporting these days but it was amazing to meet someone of his stature um the other picture is kevin smith kevin smith um is a great great guy but he did a movie called zach and miri make a porno (laughs)
2: Yeah. Right. And we
3: talk about that comedy in our documentary because uh, the title got him in a lot of water, hot water. Right. Where a lot of networks wouldn't even run the commercial because of the title. And they had to put stick figures in some of the one sheets that were out in front (laughs) of theaters. So it was an interesting story. and, And we interviewed Tracy Lords, who's in that movie, ironically, doesn't do any nudity and zach and mary mm-hmm. but she's in the movie
0: yeah. and uh kevin smith is a great guy we interviewed him for a uh, time warp for clerks oh great movie. yeah yeah super, super good guy and uh dogma and uh mall rats uh amongst you know yeah. other ama- amazing director i love his work
1: and if you're a fan of peter yeah. um donovich um Danny, there's a podcast that I think you would really like called You Must Remember This and our listeners too. If you like Old Hollywood, um, it's called You Must Remember This, and the host will do a series of shows. And her latest one is about Polly Pratt, I believe, who was and she was married to Peter Bondonovich, and she
3: he left he left Polly for Civil Shepherd.
1: Right, during that that movie. Right after she jumped off yep. the diving board, I bet. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but um, you know, she was still really, really influential in his movies, but she wasn't given credit.
3: Yeah, so he was, uh, yeah.
1: If you, if you have, you know, some driving time, um, you must it's remember great, this is an amazing podcast. podcast. Really, really yeah. good podcast.
3: But then I can't listen to the 70s on 7 while I'm driving. Oh,
1: that's funny. Oh my gosh, we got a comment here. I love Dogma. Um, I thought it was funny that his friend, um, Kevin Smith's friend,
0: Jason Mewes, Jason, so Jason Mewes was yeah.
1: in was in who was in Dogma with him and Clerks was in. Uh, uh, what's the name of the movie? Make a porno. Mir- yeah, Zach and
0: Mary. Zach and Mary.
1: Zach and Mary make a a porno. Yeah. a porno. Yeah. And that he had shaved his pubic hair into a heart. And the only yeah, one that caught that. it was Ben Affleck.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you, Kevin Smith did a little movie a few years back that was the most disturbing movie ever made. Oh, tell called us. Tusk with Michael Parks and Justin Long and a cameo by Johnny Depp. Most people didn't know the movie existed. It is the, the I think, one of the most disturbing films ever made. Why? Just called Tusk.
0: Why? What? What's it about?
3: Without. Room- not to ruin the movie is Michael parks is uh, this sadistic guy that turns Justin long into a walrus and basically tortures him and turns him into a walrus Okay. to have this epic battle at the end of it. It's, it is so sad and so creepy and so disturbing. I saw it at the arc light when it came out and a very small movie didn't do well, but it's just called T U S K Tusk. And it is, really hard to watch. Oh,
1: okay. If you say
3: That's that,
1: graphic. then it's bad yeah. because you had to go through all those cult films and there were some I could not watch. You just couldn't. Like so. the human centipede. Oh god. Oh. Why did you have to say that, Danny?
0: She's gonna have nightmares now, man.
1: Thanks a lot, Danny. <laughs> so what are you working the on? Human c-
3: centipede's interesting.
0: Yeah, but
1: disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and that was an actress that took a part because she needed apart. She needed to pay rent. Yeah. Yeah, if you've seen The Human Centipede, there's three of them. It's a trilogy
3: and uh, that really uh, the director and writer who made it is a gentleman named Tom Six from the Netherlands and he's interviewed in in Time Warp and our horror and sci-fi section and Human Centipede is wild. What a premise.
1: Well, it sounds like Tusk, this movie that you're talking about.
3: A little bit along those lines, but the greatest tagline, uh, for human centipede was 100% medically accurate, meaning you could really turn three people into a human centipede.
2: Uh,
3: and if you see, if you don't want to watch the movie, we cover it in, in time warp and, uh, the premise and we interview the director and and the actress lead, but it's what a premise.
1: Yeah. So, So what are you working on now?
3: Well, besides tr- really kind of pre-production on skin two, not to, th- this just came up the other day, is, and you mentioned it earlier, is uh, Peter Funt, Alan Funt's son, who took over Candid Camera um, in the 90s, uh, I talked to for two hours today about a possible revamping and coming along to do uh, a new Candid Camera. So that could be something I would be really interested in doing.
1: Look at you full circle like that.
3: That would go real full circle. And Peter was involved when I was doing Candid Camera. I did the last six CBS specials with Alan before he had his stroke. And Peter used to send uh, segments. He would do some in the East Coast. He lived in Connecticut. And Peter's he's hysterical, really funny. So... uh, that just came up in the last few days. And of course, as Travis knows, always trying to bring back the roller derby.
0: Yes.
2: yes.
3: So we're, we're creating a new, hopefully nostalgic, and these are, <laughs> when I say roller derby, I don't mean the all girl uh, leagues. I'm talking traditional, co ed, quad skates, spank track, LAT birds. uh I think it's time for it to come back. It's been twenty years. I think yeah. so too. I There's a so lot too. of yeah. pent-up yeah.
1: aggression yeah. in America right now. We need some, and it's some good, things. clean fun. Hey, Danny, real quick, were you were just, you the one that told me that Alan Funt happened? For those of you that don't know, he was the host of the original Candid Camera. Were you the one that told me the story that there was a plane with problems, like it was uh, there was a rumor of hijack oh.
3: or something? No, yes. Yeah. Did you? Know you... What? It's funny you say that because I just Peter just put a documentary together that I don't think anyone's seen. I, I don't know why a, a,
1: I know this.
3: To see it. Yeah, and you're right. Alan was on a flight that was hijacked to Cuba, and the people on the plane knew Alan was on the flight, and they didn't believe it. They thought it was a can camera.
0: Uh, was it Tony you know, last week that was talking about I don't that? know.
1: I think Tony's still watching the show. so if he's, It
0: might have been. It might
1: have been Tony from last week that but told us that story. But how hilarious
0: would that be if he, you look around and see him and you're like, yeah, we're not really getting hijacked. Oh, we're really getting hijacked. He, Holy shit. We're really hijacked.
1: He must have said the whole plane gave a standing ovation to
3: the uh, hijacker. When <laughs> he came out of the cabin, everyone started applauding him. <laughs> oh
1: my
3: God. He was an actor. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. It was Tony. Another listener, just Joe Casas said it was Tony. Yes. Talked last week. He probably saved a lot of lives by sparing people any kind of anxiety or making a rash decision or judgment on the plane. That is funny. Oh, Danny, I'm so excited for you.
0: So before we wrap up and let you go, Danny, last week you told us we had to watch a movie we watched it we loved it that was i i care a lot um Lord. Oh God, it was so good. So
1: good. The, the, you're right. The writing was phenomenal. I I think everybody should have a friend like Danny who sends you movie suggestions. It's like it's like a menu. Like I like you say, hey, I feel like eating Italian. What should I eat? And somebody sends you, you know, like spaghetti with meatballs and great garlic bread. So if you tell Danny, ooh, I feel like being scared tonight. What should yeah. I watch?
0: So we want to ask, what what are you going to suggest for people to watch? But also, I I definitely want to hear your opinion of that movie, because for me, it was one of the most original scripts. Um, my Mm -hmm. palms were sweaty the entire time. Debbie kept looking away. She couldn't, it was just so,
1: it just didn't make sense. I'm like, it does, but you know, at the end,
0: suspenseful, the
1: writing was
2: perfection. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, I, I, I thought it was uh, Diane Weist. first of all, should win best supporting actress. Mm -hmm. She won't get nominated, but she should win Peter Dinklage and, uh, Um, Rosamund
3: Pike, and it's directed and written by a guy named Jay Blakeford, who really hasn't done anything. A couple small (gasps) movies, but this is, again, I care a lot. It's on, I think it's Netflix
2: Mm -hmm. right now.
3: And it is so well acted. The story is so original. The twists and the... If you haven't seen it, watch it tonight. Riveting. Yeah,
0: watch it tonight. You can't do
3: anything while you're watching it. You have to be glued to the... Mm -hmm. you know be on the phone or doing sudoku at the same time I'll try not, not to, to
0: blink like too long yeah. yeah riveting yeah.
1: do you have any other suggestions for our audience promising
3: young woman i liked okay that's another one that just came out several months ago um and i thought that was uh an interesting movie it's funny it's i don't watch a ton of i watch so many old like last night i was watching dirty hairy movies And I watch Charles Bronson films all the time. I'm so into those 70s, like vigilante and dirty cop films. Yeah. So um, I can recommend something coming out in a couple weeks in theaters. And that's called Nobody. Nobody? And Nobody is with uh, Bob Odenkirk.
1: I love him.
3: From Better Call Saul. Mm -hmm. And watch the trailer and tell me you don't want to go see this movie. And unbelievable trailer and premise. You've never seen him in a role like this. Just watch the trailer to nobody. It comes out, I think, in two or three weeks in theaters. And it'll probably stream, you know, not soon after. But this looks like one of the most, this
1: movie looks unbelievable.
0: Well, you have never steered us wrong. No, we should have you back
1: before the Academy Awards. It's funny. I haven't seen,
3: I usually see everything. This was one year. I just wasn't, yeah, I haven't even seen Nomadland yet. I haven't seen that either. The, uh,
0: we started to watch the
3: started it. All people have been talking about Yeah.
0: And uh, well, Sound of Metal was pretty amazing, if you haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, gripping and beautiful story. Uh, there's just a moment for me at the very end that I just go, oh, wow. It just, it was a great movie. Sound of Metal, that's on uh, Amazon,
1: I believe. Anyway, we should... Uh...
3: Oh, and I'll throw one it. more quick one out.
1: Please. Right. It's
3: called Class Action Park. Class
1: Action, Class Action Park? Class Action
3: Park is on, I believe, on HBO Max about the amusement park uh, in New Jersey, the water slide park where all the kids were getting maimed, yeah. were <gasps> dying or getting hurt. I
1: remember you ta- telling about Somebody made a this. documentary about it? It is
3: so amazing. It's, it, the place was called Action Park. And it was this water slide park and they had bumper cars and they had like, uh, you know, um, go-karts, but everything was so dangerous that every kid was getting hurt and they have the footage (laughs) of all these rides that were so unsafe and so dangerous. And all the footages in this documentary, it's called class action park.
1: Wow. How did they get footage of the accident?
3: There was so much home footage. The guy who ran it was really like a a PT Barnum type and started dummy insurance companies so he couldn't be sued. It it really goes deep into the insurance scams and what they did to cover up the deaths and the kids Mm. getting hurt. But there's footage of every ride and stories of everyone who got hurt there. And it's fascinating with this place. Class
1: action park. Well, Danny,
3: part.
1: thank you for all of your knowledge, and um, we want to let our audience know that you were the super fan last week for um, our interview with the creative director of Buzzer, because you love game shows, and we play yes. a game show here on um, Cooking with Debbie and Friends, so would you like to play our little game show? Of course. Okay.
0: Okay. Here, we'll do the intro, and then we'll bring it. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. We're going to do the intro the game is You ready Danny?
0: <laughs> All right. No. Danny,
1: okay. What?
0: I'm going to give you the colander of questions.
1: Yay. Okay. Would you rather and why Danny? Okay. Would you rather and why would you rather live in a different fancy hotel every night with unlimited room service credit or live in your dream home, but not be able to hire any help?
3: Oh, live in my dream home. I've been living alone my, almost my whole life. I've been on my own. So live it, I would take the house and send for myself and do what I've always done.
0: <laughs> and get his own pizza. Need, that I makes sense. Need,
3: I'll get my, I'll get my own pizza. I don't need, I don't need that. I, I take the house by myself than the fancy hotel with the service.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a good one for you, Danny. Cause you're so good at both. Would you rather let your partner choose every movie you watch or pick every restaurant you eat at? Oh, that's a good Danny oh, question. Pick
3: every restaurant. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't have someone. Well, I love both, but I can't tell have someone tell me I can't watch Death Wish Five if I'm in the mood <laughs> of watching it one night. <laughs> um, that's never gonna fly or Vice Squad or yeah. Sharky's Machine or any of these great seventies or eighties films I watch all the time. So I'm okay with someone picking the restaurant. You can always find something on a menu you'd like.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. But
3: and you can't always have Death Wish Five when you want to see it.
1: True that. That's right. And then I have a COVID question. If you could choose anybody to quarantine with, two people, living or dead, who would you have quarantined with this past year?
3: Charles Bronson, 100%. I never got to meet him, but I'm still a mega fan of Charles Bronson. And LaWanda Page on Esther from Sanford and Son.
2: (gasps) Interesting. Who I'm a
3: massive, massive, massive fan of, and I still watch Sanford and Sons all the time. And I regret so much. I was never able to meet her. So it would be LaWanda Page and Charles Bronson.
2: Those that are very, yeah, unique very and good.
1: interesting. Danny, you're so interesting. <laughs> I love yeah. Danny. Love. I, I
0: love with that, with that. Charles Bronson, too, not just because of the death death wish. But um, my first the first time I saw him was in Once Upon a Time in the Old in the West. Um, fantastic movie I'm really into westerns And, and old movies too But uh, I haven't seen a Death Wish in a while I might need to put, that on, put the, that
1: on the calendar On the
0: queue I gotta tell you,
3: all five Death Wishes are great The third one with Martin Balsam is, They're so underrated The fifth one with Michael Parks Who I mentioned was in Tusk Death Wish 5, Face of Death is a great movie These were when he, was, when he was doing the
2: Canon movies hmm. And the
3: Golan and Globus movies You know in the 80s Bronson was doing a movie every year, but they're great films though. I mean, I just, he did a movie called Kinjate. That's great. 10 till midnight great. I can go on and on with these movies. He was making in the yeah. early eighties. The mechanic is a great movie.
1: Dirty uh, dozen. Somebody said
3: dirty. Uh, of course the dirty dozen. You know what? Yeah. I mean, hard, uh, hard times. I mean, you can go off. Bronson's IMDB is incredible.
1: Mm. You know what's interesting, Danny? I know we're trying to wrap up here, but you know what's interesting and this conversation uh, has come full circle for me is I remember the first nude scene I saw in a movie and it was a Charles Bronson movie and it was a horrible rape scene, which I think of his housekeeper and then he goes out and he you know, seeks revenge. But I remember that scene just staying with me because I had never once seen anybody naked On screen, and then it was such a a, a shocking shocking scene.
3: Well, I will leave you with one bit of trivia then. That scene would have been at the beginning of Death Wish 1, and one of the two rapists was Jeff Goldblum. No. Yes.
1: How do you one know of, everything?
3: At the beginning of the movie, was Jeff He's an encyclopedia. <sighs>
1: He's a walking encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah I remember that movie. Um, it just really changed me. I remember it coming home and telling my mom I saw somebody naked for the first time on screen and then she was raped and she was Latina. So there was just so much in that yep. one scene that just was so incredibly. It's so odd that we're talking about nudity in film. And I remember that scene like it was yesterday Hmm. but it was necessary it was necessary to shock the audience to tell this story so that you could be on charles bronson's side to go and get that revenge it had to be absolutely a a scene that that showed so graphically how this woman was was raped and and murdered Hmm. on that positive note with nudity
3: it's you know sometimes it's necessary (laughs) if, if it's if it's intrinsic to the plot of the movie, or it's important, you, you have to put it in there. Otherwise, it's a disservice to the film.
1: Right, yeah. right. Yep. Whether you're it's not a-
3: going to do, be doing the movie, showgirls while they're wearing tuxedos. Exactly. Right. you're Doing a movie, showgirls, they're going to be, for the most part, naked.
1: Right, right. What was the? What was the? They said in in his documentary, like if you're making a movie about construction workers, they're going to have hard
2: hats. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: Well, Danny, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you back before Academy Awards. Or if you're ever thinking about a good movie suggested, send it to us and we'll put it up on our uh, podcast or our Mm -hmm. cooking show. Because people are always looking for recommendations. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and it's been nice. And one one thing, you know, I will say during, you know, while we've been at home a lot more in the last year is people's got to binge watch and find old movies they haven't seen. And, you know, thank God for Amazon Prime and Hulu and Netflix and HBO Max and some of the others that the Turner Classic movies that have these amazing libraries
2: mm-hmm. that if
3: you're bored one night, you can go find a great movie, you know, a Clint Eastwood movie from the 70s or a Bronson film or or something cool from, from those decades that they're out there and yeah. you can watch them every night. And that's one thing I've got to see a lot of films uh, I haven't seen in years and, and it's been great.
0: Yeah. Same for us. Yeah. But if you're bored tonight, as Danny said earlier, you have to watch I Care A Lot on Netflix.
1: Mm-hmm. Powerful.
0: Yeah. Very, very, very. Unique. Gallop. Powerful. Good Danny, thank you so much, man. Um, can't tell you how much we appreciate this. Uh, Danny Wolf, writer, producer, director. He has... Uh, skin a history of nudity movies on hulu and amazon i'm going to throw up this graphic too so the mm-hmm. those watching can see it again and then i also want to put up this graphic so that they can see the time warp series amazing stuff um your your wealth of knowledge and a really great friend we appreciate you coming on the show tonight
3: thank you danny thank you both i had a great time and you know i'll be talking to you tomorrow night yes yeah. sir Sometimes.
1: okay
0: <laughs> all, right, man. all right all
1: right All right. thank care, you danny. good night danny
0: okay guys so he knows everything he does and um and he's just a wealth of knowledge and i'll tell you every time i i talk to that guy i learn something more not just about Uh, him but about movies about skating amazing i started skating again i think most of you guys know that but um this guy was an announcer for roller derby for years and um he's really working hard to do that i don't know where he gets all the time i don't either To do everything he does he's not married that's true
1: (laughs) he calls all the shots
0: that's correct yeah that's correct Okay, just to recap, we are cooking uh, live on the same channels, Facebook and YouTube, uh, on um, uh, Sundays at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. And this
1: Sunday is going to be uh, the anniversary of COVID, and we're going to ask you three questions about COVID. What was the best part, what was the worst part, and what did you learn? Those are three questions we used to ask our kids when they got home from school. What was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And what did you learn? And so that's what we're going to talk about um, with COVID. It's also pie day Sunday. So Mm -hmm. we're going to make a shepherd's pie and it's the anniversary of COVID and we can't let it go without putting a mark in there and, and you tell us something bad that happened. We'll be there with you. In that space, you tell us something good that happened, and we will celebrate with you, and you tell us something that you've learned so that we can share.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, there's been quite a bit since, and uh, wow, it's hard to believe it's been a year so fast, Yeah. although it seems at sometimes so very long.
1: It does. We should let these good people go. They've been hanging on for quite a while. I'm going to close
0: this up here. You guys were at cookingwithdebbieandfriends.com. On Instagram at Cooking with Debbie, YouTube and uh, Facebook, and then of course we take the audio after the show. We put it up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Before you turn your computers off and go to bed, or shut the TVs off, or or whatever you're going to do tonight, please go and queue up this movie Skin: A History of Nudity in the Movies on Hulu. Queue up Time Warp part one, two, and three, you will not regret it. Danny Wolf is an amazing friend and uh, you will love the work that he does. Just to say goodbye to a few people here. um, Those of you that, that hung out with us for a while.
1: Mike Bilberry, Tony Townsend. Yeah, he was entertained. Tony. Good night, Anna Maria. Suzanne, uh, Suzanne made a comment that Jack was really enjoying this interview because it reminded him of being back in film school. Yeah. 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 And so, Sally Cleaver Sally came Cleaver's in a little so bit late. So good to but see you here. Glad you did. And Dan and uh, Mike always adding.
0: The Eaglesons... sends. Linda Kathy Holmes, by the way, she said, love your blouse. I love it too. It looks really pretty. I think that's was Pilar's or she had one like,
1: I it. I wanted to do this interview nude oh, just wear yeah, towels yeah. and he didn't I want to do let it. I wouldn't
0: I said, no, that's not going to happen. Tom Salazar was, was with us and, and a number of other people. If you're still here, I see on the upper left that there are a number of you guys still here. My uncle Joe love you too. And, uh, for all of you that, that watched tonight and hung out with us, we hope that you enjoyed Danny Wolf and we hope that you will support him and his work so with that good night good night